Well, and as you grab your seat, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians 6. It's going to be nice to hear those pages turning because people are back. Are you all happy to be back here this week? I thought so. I, I'm happy to have you back. And what a joy it will be to be together again, moving into the future. And there's two people I want to say a special word of welcome to. If you're a child with us this morning, will you just raise your hand real quick? We're glad to have you here. My four boys were in the early service, and this might be your first time in big church or one of your first times. We're thrilled you're here. And if parents, if your kid happens to make noise while I'm preaching, I'll just assume they're amening whatever I'm saying. Don't worry another thing about it. And also, if you're a first time guest with us, welcome home. We're excited to have you here. Uh, we are excited to get back together and want you to feel a part of what we're doing here at our church. And we're going to turn our attention to Ephesians 6 now, continuing our study through the full armor of God. If you'll pick up with me beginning in verse 12, here's what Paul has to tell us. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Well, we've sensed a lot of tension in our nation the last couple of weeks, haven't we? I mean, we already had coronavirus going on and all the instability that that created, all the economic turmoil that happened. And then with the death of George Floyd, racial tension began to fuel in our country. And we've watched all the news. We've seen the headlines of all of uh, that tension that's happened there. And, you know, as we watch this play out, there are several things I think as Christians we need to keep in mind that we see circumstances like what happened with George Floyd. And it's another example of uh, times that have happened over and over again in our country where reprehensible things have happened to individuals. And that's part of a larger reality for our country where uh, when we look at our history, when it comes to race, there's a difficult reality when we look at it, where we were founded when slavery was part of our country. We've seen decades of segregation. We've seen consistent treatment of, uh, mistreatment of people of color over the years. And as a result of that, that has fueled some of the tension that we see today. But at the same time, we know that there are amazing law enforcement officers serving all around our country, including many right here in this church that I'm so grateful for, who just because some make poor choices, it isn't a reflection on everyone else. And at the same time, we know that there are good ways to advance this conversation and unhelpful ways to advance this conversation. So when peaceful protests happen that are seeking to foster dialogue, we want to see that First Amendment right protected. But at the same time, we watch looting or violence occur, and we know that that's not going to advance the conversation in our country. That's one of the reasons why I've been so encouraged to watch our local community during this season, where there have been largely peaceful protests. Our law enforcement has responded with compassionate support. There have been strong statements by uh, community leaders uh, addressing the issue. And also I've seen churches around gather together and encourage one another. I was on a prayer call earlier this week with pastors from around this city praying for unity and healing in our country. But as we watch this tension play out, one of the things that it should remind us of is that there is a conflict going on behind the conflict. 
And that's precisely what Paul is speaking of here this morning when he speaks of this spiritual battle that's happening no matter what tensions we see in our country, whether they are driven by racial divide or other matters, there is something more that is going on than what we see with our own eyes. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place in the heavenly places. And as we look here at verses 12 and 13, let's remember what we saw last week. If you were here with us or if you were watching online, we saw that Paul is calling us to put on Christ who is the full armor of God because we need to stand against a dangerous plan against us. And what we're going to notice this morning is that in verses 12 and 13, Paul gives us two additional reasons that we need to take up that armor of God and stand firm in the battle. And I want you to see the first one with me back in verse 12. We're going to find that Paul is calling us to stand firm against a dangerous enemy. So look back at what it says in verse 12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is writing there and speaking about the spiritual battle that we fight in our lives as believers. And I want you to notice the way that the text begins there. It uses the word we. Paul is reminding us that the battle that we face is not meant to be faced on our own. That instead, as the church, we come together to fight the good fight of the faith side by side. And he speaks there of wrestling. This, in the original language, it would be a term that was used in a, a wrestling match. They had those back in the day. Or in hand-to-hand combat in a military uh, skirmish that is going on between two armies. So right now, during the coronavirus shutdown, I'm slowly working our four boys through the Star Wars movies. I've already had to apologize to them because they just suffered through the Phantom Menace. And as they watch those, they're captivated by the whole thing. But the thing that grips their attention the most is when those lightsaber battles take place. That close hand-to-hand combat, there's intensity, there is aggression, there is a battle of good versus evil that is happening in close quarters. That's the image that Paul is giving us here. That we are to wrestle, that we are to fight. But he tells us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Now that might have surprised some of those early Christians in that time period because they knew their Old Testament. And when they looked back at the Old Testament, they saw time and time again that the people of God fought the battle of God against flesh and blood enemies. So from the very beginning, God gives a promise in the garden after the fall of Adam and Eve into sin that one day he would raise up an offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And the entire Old Testament from Genesis all the way through the prophets is telling this story where God is preserving that promise. And often he does that through military conquest. And we see this pattern emerge in the scriptures where in the Old Testament, God fights for his people in their faithful obedience. And he fights against his unfaithful people in their sinful rebellion. And as the prophets look ahead... They promise a coming king who will be a conqueror that will restore all things. There was an expectation that when the Messiah came, he would fight against Israel's flesh and blood enemies and deliver them. And yet we see Jesus totally upends that in the New Testament, doesn't he? He comes and changes the nature of the warfare. And it's no longer physical in nature, it is spiritual in nature. 
He goes to the cross and defeats death so that he can set captives free from sin and rescue them into the kingdom of light. We see that pattern emerges, and that's what Paul is driving at here. He says our, the nature of our warfare has changed. As some like to say, we are no longer fighting against flesh and blood, but for flesh and blood. We are seeking to rescue captive sinners who are rebels to the kingdom of Christ. And so as he is saying this, Paul is calling us off the sidelines and into the front lines. He's he's reminding us of the different nature of the battle. But look at the way that this verse goes on because he says we need to stand against a dangerous enemy not just because our battle is different, but because uh, our enemy is different. Do you see the way he talks about these spiritual forces in verse 12? He says the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the spiritual forces of evil. And as he goes through each of these terms, he is speaking of demonic forces who set themselves against the kingdom of light. He speaks there of rulers and authorities in the plural, implying that there are many of these forces who are lined up against God's design for the world. In fact, he he uses that term there, cosmic powers over this present darkness. In the original language, that idea of cosmic powers is more literally translated world rulers. Those that want to dominate the world to take control of it. And in that sense, these demonic forces are following the pattern of their leader, Satan himself, who the New Testament refers to as the God of this world or the prince of the power of the air. There is this idea that they are seeking to impose the kingdom of darkness all around them. And that's why Paul gives us this umbrella term here of the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. They, are, they were active in the New Testament. We see the way that Jesus, over his lifetime, was casting out demons. He was rebuking them by name. He was demonstrating his authority over them. And that didn't stop in that moment. Instead, that continued in the early church, where we see Peter and Paul and some of the others in the early church casting out demons just as their Savior did and demonstrating their authority over the power of darkness over against these evil forces. When I was a student here at A&M, my roommate and I decided to go golfing one day on the on-campus course at A&M, and uh, we didn't quite know all of the appropriate things that you're supposed to do in golf, and so he decided, you know what, it's hot outside, I'm just going to wear my flip-flop sandals to play. And so we set out, and we were, I remember we hit a tee shot, we were down uh, and about to hit onto the green, and I was over on one side, he was over the other, he walked over and he positioned himself there right in front of the ball, and right before he was about to swing, I noticed he got a phone call, and so he's just standing there, he takes his phone out, he talks for a second, he hangs it back up, and then he leans down, he fires a shot there towards the green, and next thing I know, I'm not paying a whole lot of attention at that point, but I see him going crazy, he's jumping up and down, he's making tons of noise, and I'm like, he must have just sunk this thing from way far out there. Well, it turns out that wasn't the case at all. He wasn't excited about his shot. He had just come to the realization that while he was standing there, his legs had been swarmed by a bed of fire ants. (laughs) And if you don't know how the fire ants work, when you are standing still, they won't bite you. But the moment they feel a vibration or a movement, they all attack at the same time. (laughs) This unseen force has an invisible attack on him that he was not prepared for because he wasn't properly equipped for that moment wearing flip-flops. And that's the warning that Paul is giving to us this morning. 
that we must be properly equipped for the battle that we face in the Christian life, that there are unseen enemies all around us seeking to destroy us, and we must take up Christ who is the full armor of God in order to stand against them. And as we're holding our spot here in Ephesians 6, I want to call your attention back to Acts 19. If you've got your Bible, slide over there with me, because this idea of spiritual battle against forces of evil wasn't just an abstract concept for the Ephesian church. They had watched in Acts 19 this play out firsthand there. And I just want you, I don't want you to miss this passage of Scripture Because this is the type of lens through which the Ephesian church would have heard what Paul is saying. Look with me in Acts 19, beginning in verse 13. Here's what it says. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. And fear fell upon all of them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So Paul may have been writing to people in this church who were there to watch this guy get whooped. He took these seven men on and owned them because they tried to rebuke this evil spirit by the name of a Jesus that they didn't actually follow. And as one of my friends likes to say, sometimes you don't know who wins a fight, but if one guy takes seven and they run out of there wounded and naked, you know who won that battle. And that's exactly what we see right here, where these people seek to take advantage of the name of God to accomplish their own ends, and instead it blows up in their face. But what does God do? He uses that moment to awaken people of his power and of his need of them. And in repentance, people bring their books that they use to practice magic and the dark arts and to conjure these demonic spirits, and instead they burn them. They turn away from them, and we see the way that the word of the Lord multiplies in that moment. So as the Ephesian church is hearing these words from Paul, they remember this instance. They know what it's like to wage war against demonic forces in ways that perhaps we don't even recognize today. Because if we're being honest, as we look at the New Testament, our experience with demonic forces doesn't always match what we see there. We don't see exorcisms happening today. We don't see people rebuking things. And there could be a sense in which perhaps those demonic forces aren't around as much. Perhaps they aren't as active. And that's one of the reasons I particularly love a book by, the, by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letters. If you haven't heard of The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes as if he is a senior leader in the demonic forces, giving some coaching and guidance to a more junior member on how to lead humans astray. 
how to prevent them from coming to know Christ, how to invite them into temptation, how to bring condemnation and guilt and judgment upon them. And one of the things that C.S. Lewis talks about in the Screwtape Letters is that Satan has found an effective foothold in Western culture in 21st century world by pretending as if demonic forces aren't even there anymore. Because if you don't recognize the enemy, you won't be on guard against him. And lulls people into a complacency in the battle they are called to because they don't recognize the enemy that they face. And if we're being honest this morning, there are some of you that came soaring in here today. You've been away for nearly three months from this church. The Lord has done an amazing work in this season in you, and you are just flying high. But I imagine there are others of you that walked in here today and you're limping. You're wounded from the battle. There's discouragement in your heart. Maybe there's a secret sin that you've given yourself over to in this season of isolation. Perhaps there's even some of you that are right here watching online who couldn't bring yourself to come to church this morning because you just didn't think you were ready for it. What Paul is reminding us of here this morning is that no matter where you find yourself today, Jesus is calling us to the battle against these demonic forces. He is inviting us to stand against them so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the gospel even in the midst of this dangerous enemy. But notice the way that this text goes on because in verse 13 what we're going to find is that Paul lays out for us another reason that we must continue to stand firm in the battle. He says that we need to stand firm during this dangerous time. Look back at what it says in verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So here he is for the second time in this passage, both in verse 10 and now again here in verse 13, giving us a command to put on the armor of God, or in this case, to take it up and to put it on, to, to embrace that reality that we know from last week means to put on Christ who is the armor of God. And I want you to hold your space here in Ephesians 6 as we flip back to the Old Testament to Isaiah 59. There's another important dimension of this that I want you to see here in the passage because we learned last week that uh, when Paul was speaking about the armor of God, he likely had the outfit of a typical Roman soldier in view. But that's not the only thing he had in mind whenever he was speaking about the armor of God. He also has Isaiah 59 in mind because if you look at Isaiah 59, Starting in verse 16, uh, the prophet is writing, and it's a passage of judgment in which God is going to bring judgment upon his unfaithful people for their sinful rebellion. And look at the way Isaiah describes God himself in verse 16. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on a a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Now look down at verse 20. And a redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Don't you see some familiar language right there in this passage? The prophet is speaking about God and he is speaking of him as a divine warrior. One who will conquer even over the unbelief of his people. And how does he describe him? As one who wears righteousness as a breastplate. 
as one who wears salvation as his helmet. The exact same imagery that Paul is picking up on here in Ephesians chapter 6. He is lifting from Isaiah 59. But notice a difference. Because here in Isaiah 59, the prophet is writing about this armor and he is speaking of God himself. But in Ephesians 6, what do we see? When Paul talks about taking up the armor of of God, he is not speaking about God himself, but the people of God, that you and I are to take up that armor. And what we know, as we saw last week, is the way that we do that is by putting off the old self and putting on the new self, moving away from what we were in our flesh and in our fallen condition and putting on Christ, who is the armor of God. That is the picture that Paul is giving us here because we must do it since we are living at a dangerous time. I had a friend of mine that went to school with me at A&M who after we graduated, he went on to be in the army and he joined the army rangers. And for a season, he was stationed in Afghanistan in a forward operating base in the Tagab, Tagab Valley. And while he was there, I remember talking to him after he returned about how difficult it was to be on enemy territory and behind enemy lines, even though they were surrounded there by a fortress of walls and gates and protection, you always had to be on guard. You always needed to remain vigilant because you never knew when the enemy would strike. In fact, he said there was a a regular place up on the mountainside just next to the, uh, the base where the enemy would often try to go and if they could reach there, they would loft mortar shells that they would try to reach into that camp that would sometimes unfortunately bring damage or death. And if they did not stay on guard against this enemy, recognizing the time that they lived in and the place where they were located, they would always be vulnerable to damage in the midst of the battle. And that's the picture that Paul is giving us here. When he says we must withstand in the evil day, he is telling us that we are now behind enemy lines, that we live in enemy territory, that there has to be this heightened vigilance that happens, this perseverance, this resistance against the enemy that enables us to keep pressing on in the battle that we are called to there. He says, we must take up the armor of God. We must stand so that we can withstand in the evil day. Do you see the way he uses that language there in verse 13? He uses very similar language just a chapter earlier in chapter 5 and verse 16 of an evil day, that the time we are in is one that is evil, where the kingdom of darkness is still active. Now, we know from looking at the New Testament that there's a sense in which on the cross, as Jesus died on our behalf, and as he raised himself victoriously from the grave, that he struck the death blow against Satan. And yet at the same time, we see that the New Testament tells us we do not yet see all things under Christ's feet. That will not happen until he returns as a victorious king. And in this time between the times, Paul reminds us we are living in an evil day where the prince of the power of the air still is warring against the kingdom of light, and he is calling us to withstand, to resist, to oppose, to reject this kingdom of darkness to the point that he says there at the end of the verse, having done all to stand firm. He's talking about selling out, being all in, saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes by the power of the Spirit to fight the good fight of the faith in my life. In the same way that Israel was called to wipe out their enemies completely, 
to drive out the Canaanites and leave no more to live. Paul is calling us to drive out the Canaanites of our heart. To leave none standing in resistance to God. That we might subdue all of them, having done all to stand firm. And we, we get a sense for what that might look like living in a dangerous time right now during this coronavirus season. So I remember a few weeks ago when we were having one of our pilot groups in, someone came up after the service and they said, Pastor, I'd love to introduce myself to you. And I'm normally a hugger, but I know we're not supposed to do that. So tell me if you're up for this. I have an idea. What if we shake hands and I've got a bottle of Purell right here. And as soon as we shake hands, we'll both get some and clean ourselves off. That's the kind of thing we never had to think about before, right? Three months ago, we weren't even thinking in these categories, but there's a different circumstance for this season, however long it lasts, we're living in a different time where we must embrace different practices that might not be in accordance with our preferences, but that are necessary for the sake of defeating an invisible enemy. And how much more so is that true in what Paul is calling us to right here in Ephesians 6, that we are living in this dangerous time, that we must stand against these forces for the season of our lives to resist the way that Satan is working in our hearts. But what we know, if we're being honest, is that we can't do that on our own. That every one of us outside of Christ are sinners. We have fallen short of God's design for our life. Every time we've tried to prop ourselves up and to stand on our own strength, temptation has led to sin that has led to judgment that knocks us down yet again. There's not one person in human history that can stand on their own outside of Christ. But isn't that the beauty of the gospel? That what God has done for us is that even though we cannot stand on our own strength, Christ has stood for us. And because Christ has stood for us, we can now stand in the midst of the battle. Because Christ has stood for us, we can now continue to fight the good fight of the faith. Because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, reigning victorious, we can stand no matter what Satan seeks to bring against us. You know, this weekend, Mark, the 76th anniversary of D-Day, one of the seminal moments in World War II where the major victory was accomplished that was ultimately fulfilled at V-Day just months after that. But before D-Day ever happened, before the Allies could have ever imagined uh, breaking into Germany and winning a final victory, England had to endure an incredibly hard season of bombing from the Germans. And the Blitz of London and of England took place, and over a season of 57 consecutive days, the German forces would bring their bombers at nighttime and to bring carnage to the English people. So think about what happens when darkness falls. A tyrannical leader bent on world domination sends his invisible forces to take up secret tactics to assault a vulnerable enemy. And over that period of time, the people of England had to stand firm and to resist and to resolve not to back down so that one day they might find deliverance from that invisible enemy and experience victory. And when Paul writes here to us today about how we need to stand firm in the faith, we need to put on Christ who is the armor of God, he is calling us to that same reality. That we face an invisible enemy who has set himself against us, who seeks to leverage darkness 
in order to use invisible enemies who are carrying out secret tactics in order to subdue a vulnerable enemy. And what Paul is calling us to here is to stand firm in the battle. The call of the gospel to each one of us this morning is to put on Christ, who is our armor, because we face a dangerous enemy and we live in a dangerous time. Let's pray together. Lord, we see the danger all around us when we have eyes to see, when we have ears to hear, when we have hearts to recognize the challenges that we face. And Lord, I pray that you will awaken our hearts this morning, God. Lord, if there are people that are in bondage to sin, that you would set them free today, Lord, that they could find freedom in Christ, and that if there are people here that are walking and wounded, that they would find healing in their midst through the blood of Jesus and the encouragement of the church, Lord. We know that even though we face a dangerous enemy and live in a dangerous time, we follow a victorious Savior, and we can trust him in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment here, we're going to have a time of response, and we're going to stand and sing during that time, and maybe the Spirit is at work in your heart today. Maybe you recognize that you've been trying to stand on your own, and that there's no hope of salvation apart from Jesus. You're ready to know more about what it looks like to follow Christ. We want to invite you down, and we'll share with you how to do that. Or maybe as we've been gone for this season, separated for 13 weeks, you've made a resolve that you want to be a part of this church that you want to join with the soldiers of Christ at Central. We want to share with you more about church membership. We invite you to come and join us. Or maybe right now, you just need to take some time to pray with one of us or to come to the front. In whatever way the Spirit is leading, I want to invite us to stand, and as we sing, you respond the way the Spirit leads you to in this time. Let's stand together.